I'm glad to be with you today uh, and to be involved in this uh, series of lectures on uh, international law uh, for the uh, Audiovisual Library of the United Nations. I'm a great uh, believer in the importance of the work of the United Nations for the maintenance of uh, peace among all nations, rich and poor, large and small, and for the construction of a better planet uh, based on the uh, equality of all states uh, and the respect of human rights and freedom for all women and women. And I believe that uh, learning and uh, education are uh, fundamental pieces of these uh, construction efforts. Today, I'll try to highlight four aspects of the role of the WTO in uh, today's uh, international legal order. First, uh, I will describe why and how uh, the WTO is both a very classical yet modern organization. Uh, secondly, uh, I will show that uh, although the WTO is a powerful organization uh, focusing on international trade, uh, it recognizes uh, the importance of uh, non-trade concerns and that opening trade markets for the benefit of all does not mean that uh, trade trumps other concerns or values. Thirdly, uh, I will argue that the WTO is in constant dialogue with many other international organizations and indeed gives legal weight to norms uh, developed by them. And finally, uh, I will conclude uh, by discussing how the WTO seeks to work uh, with the United Nations on several fronts uh, in its effort uh, to address uh, the troubles of uh, humanity and in particular uh, those uh, relating to trade. In so doing, uh, the WTO contributes, uh, in my view, to improving uh, coherence in the international uh, legal system. Let's uh, start uh, about how uh, the WTO is both a traditional and uh, a modern uh, institution. The WTO is an international organization. This may seem obvious, and yet it took uh, over 50 years uh, to achieve that result. This uh, protracted effort to acquire a legal existence has uh, left its marks, and this may explain why today it remains a very traditional and classical uh, international organization, while uh, in the same time uh, it has uh, developed very modern uh, features. The GATT, the General Agreement on Tariffs and Trade, which was replaced uh, by the WTO in uh, 1994, was a provisional agreement that uh, entered into force in January uh, 1948 and which was uh, to disappear uh, with uh, the treaty uh, creating the ITO, the International uh, Trade Organization. Since that treaty creating the ITO uh, was never ratified, the GATT remained uh, for half a century an agreement in a simplified form, which uh, in principle uh, did not provide uh, for any uh, institutional framework. Thus, uh, the GATT uh, did not have members, uh, 
uh, but contracting parties, a term uh, which uh, highlighted uh, the purely contractual nature of the uh, arrangement. It was only uh, with the creation uh, some 50 years later of the uh, Marrakesh Agreement establishing uh, the WTO that a true international organization was finally created, uh, possessing uh, its own international legal uh, personality. To avoid any uh, ambiguity, uh, the agreement establishing uh, the WTO states in uh, Article 8 that, I quote, the organization shall have international legal uh, personality. No international organization uh, needs to repeat in its constitution uh, that it is an international organization, but the WTO members uh, felt they had to do so, and uh, I believe they were pride to do so. The uh, implications of this uh, status are numerous. As with uh, all international organizations, the competencies of the WTO are limited uh, by the principle of uh, speciality. The WTO is concerned with trade and it does not seek to go beyond this, although, of course, it recognizes uh, that uh, WTO members must deal with uh, policies and with international obligations that go beyond trade. As a true uh, international organization, uh, the WTO now uh, comprises an integrated and distinctive legal order. It produces a body of legal rules that govern the actions of its members. The WTO legislative basis is important. It has uh, the institutional capacity uh, to produce new rules, amendments, and implementing uh, instruments. The WTO is a treaty of some 500 pages of text with more than 2,000 pages of uh, scheduled commitments by its members. In addition, 50 years of GATT practice and decisions, uh, which we know as the GATT acquis, are now included as part of the new uh, WTO treaty. But in the WTO, the trade rules are always being negotiated. The Doha Development Agenda, the DDA, uh, represents uh, the latest round of negotiations. And in these negotiations, a broad range of issues are open uh, simultaneously to negotiation and lead eventually uh, to the adoption of new legal obligations. These uh, legal rules form uh, an integrated system. Indeed, the WTO agreements are integrated in what we call a single undertaking, which forms a single coherent entity. A number of provisions recall this fact, and uh, in particular uh, Article 2.2 uh, of the agreement, which states that uh, the multilateral trade agreements, I quote, are integral parts of the agreement establishing the WTO, and I are, and I 
also quote, binding on all members. This is why they uh, appear uh, in an annex to the agreement establishing uh, the uh, World Trade Organization. On several occasions, uh, the dispute settlement body has uh, reaffirmed that members must comply with all of the WTO provisions, which must be interpreted harmoniously and applied cumulatively and simultaneously. Thus, uh, the WTOET is in fact a single agreement which has established an organized legal order. The WTO uh, rests uh, largely on the principle of the sovereign equality of states, but this does not mean uh, that it is incapable of uh, showing the kind of uh, pragmatism that uh, befits uh, trade in uh, applying the principles of uh, traditional uh, international law. Equality is uh, especially obvious in uh, decision-making. Formally, uh, the uh, WTO rule is uh, one country, one vote, unlike decision-making in uh, other international economic organizations, such as the World Bank or the IMF. But the practice of taking decisions by consensus is uh, now broadly accepted in all stages of the WTO decision-making process. While uh, it is true that this need for consensus uh, is responsible for a certain sluggishness uh, in the negotiations, it does enable all states, whatever their share uh, in international trade, to express their views and to participate on an equal footing. Indeed, uh, as uh, recalled by the UN uh, Secretary General before the General Assembly in uh, 2004, uh, equality is a fundamental requirement, and I quote him, at the international level, all states, strong and weak, big and small, need a framework of fair rules which each can be confident that others will obey. Fortunately, such a framework exists, from trade to terrorism, from the law of the sea to weapons of mass destruction, states have created an impressive body of norms and laws." End of quote. But as uh, Kofi Annan uh, pointed out, uh, these rules must also be fair, which is why uh, the WTO goes beyond formal equality and seeks to establish real equality. True equality uh, can only exist uh, between equals. Uh, when it comes to trade, some of the less developed countries require certain flexibilities if trade and development are to continue uh, to exist and synergize uh, side by side. In the WTO, uh, developing countries can enjoy a series of uh, non-reciprocal benefits, in particular uh, special and differential treatment uh, provision. So the WTO is a classical organization in that its 
sphere of competence is limited, it works with consensus and it remains member-driven. The WTO deals with trade and only trade. Yet, as I will develop further uh, later on, it has important exceptions that recognize uh, the right of states uh, to give priorities to policies other than trade. It even allows trade obligations to be uh, disregarded when this is done in good faith and uh, without any uh, protectionist uh, intent. So, WTO is a classical organization, but it also has uh, some uh, very modern features. It provides a permanent forum for negotiations among members uh, concerning their multilateral trade relations. In today's world, uh, states need permanent forums uh, for discussions and negotiations, and in that, uh, the uh, institutional structure of the WTO is well uh, developed. We have uh, various levels and forms of uh, decision-making that have to be followed. This ensures uh, that issues brought to the WTO cannot simply be uh, swept away. The WTO is also unusual uh, in that uh, the totality of its members participate as a matter of law in all of its bodies from the ministerial conference, uh, which meets uh, at least uh, once every two years, to the General Council, uh, which uh, functions as uh, the main decision-making body between uh, these meetings, not to mention each of the councils and uh, committees. And although the consensus is a demanding requirement, uh, it has ensured that the new powers uh, evolving in uh, today's world find room in uh, the decision-making process. For example, uh, some 10 or 15 years ago, what we call the Quad, which was uh, the four US, EC, Japan, Canada, uh, was seen as a core group where uh, draft uh, decisions uh, had to be tested first. Now, if there is a quad, uh, it's a new quad, uh, which is why we talk about the G4, uh, which are US, EC, India, and Brazil. Moreover, uh, it's not possible uh, to propose uh, any new rule without testing uh, the waters uh, with countries like uh, China, uh, South Africa or uh, Indonesia, uh, just to take a few examples. More importantly, perhaps, uh, the WTO has developed strong and modern enforcement mechanisms. By enforcement mechanisms, I mean uh, both our transparency, surveillance, monitoring mechanisms, and also our binding uh, dispute uh, settlement system. Let's look first at the uh, potentially very innovative surveillance mechanisms uh, that uh, we now have in place. Uh, the WTO agreement 
contains uh, multiple notification and legislation review exercises by the entire membership, as well as possibilities for uh, cross-notification, uh, whereby a member notifies the WTO of a measure not notified uh, by uh, an originating member. All notifications and cross-notifications are reviewed and commented by members in the relevant committees uh, or council. There is a sort of collective monitoring process, uh, such as uh, the uh, trade uh, policy review uh, mechanism, uh, which is a sort of peers review process covering uh, the full range of individual members, trade policies and practices, and their impact on the functioning of the uh, multilateral trading system. The aim is to achieve a collective appreciation and evaluation of these policies and uh, practices, and the trade policy review report also uh, examines uh, the impact on the multilateral trading system of such uh, policies and uh, practices. The reviews uh, are set against the uh, background of uh, each country's wider uh, economic and uh, developmental needs, its policies, its objectives, and of its uh, external uh, economic environment. This is again a very uh, innovative process uh, that is evidence of the level of legal and institutional sophistication of the uh, WTO. And it explains why states, weak and strong, make great use of this forum. Let's now turn to the WTO formal adjudication of disputes uh, between uh, members. Uh, this uh, system uh, is said to be uh, the jewel in the crown and is definitely modern and until now unique. It is a compulsory jurisdiction that is uh, accessible to all members. No member may oppose the initiation of a dispute settlement procedure by another member. And contrary uh, to what may happen in other international forums, uh, for example, the uh, International Court of Justice, all WTO members have, by definition, accepted the compulsory and exclusive jurisdiction of the uh, dispute settlement body for all matters relating to the uh, WTO agreements. An important and in many ways a uh, very innovative feature of this system is uh, the presumption of legal and economic interest in bringing proceeding. Any member, large or small, trading or not with the other challenge member, can initiate a dispute settlement process. In the long and famous uh, world uh, dispute on bananas, uh, the appellate body of the WTO uh, confirmed that uh, the US had sufficient interest to bring proceedings against the European community, even though 
in practical terms, uh, the Americans did not export bananas uh, to the EC. In other words, any member may initiate dispute settlement procedures on the basis of a claim that another member is not complying with its obligations under uh, WTO law. Therefore, the responsibility is generated by an objective fact where all members are guardians of the system. The system can be triggered easily and quickly. Allegations that uh, trade is affected generally suffices to formally trigger uh, the regular WTO dispute settlement process through a simple request for consultations in writing. Procedural steps happen automatically within uh, predetermined uh, time limits. Panels, which is our jurisdiction of fourth instance, and the appellate body, which is the appeal stage, uh, are expected to make uh, rapid rulings on any WTO-related grief. It decides according to law and rulings are made by uh, independent uh, persons. Moreover, the appellate body uh, functions more or less like a court, uh, which uh, hears only matters of law. This confirms the essentially legal uh, nature of the system. After adjudication, the implementation of disputes ruling uh, is subject to continuous multilateral monitoring until full satisfaction of the complainant in cases where a violation uh, has been found. If rulings are not implemented, the membership must authorize retaliatory actions, uh, countermeasures, the level and application of which remain under uh, WTO uh, multilateral uh, surveillance. Another uh, unique provision of the dispute settlement is that it uh, rules out all unilateral measures. Only the WTO can decide whether members' measures or actions are consistent with uh, WTO rules. In that sense, uh, the WTO is a rare system uh, that has managed to regulate uh, countermeasures uh, from uh, powerful states by subjecting such action to prior approval by the collective uh, membership. So, the WTO is a sophisticated system for rulemaking and for ensuring uh, the enforcement of these rules. But this does not mean uh, that the WTO is uh, hegemonic uh, and does not take into account other international norms and other international organizations. On the contrary, uh, the WTO is not more important than other international organizations and WTO norms do not necessarily supersede other international norms. On occasions, the WTO gives legal value to norms developed by others, and this is uh, recognized in uh, the WTO treaty itself.
Which leads me to my uh, second point, uh, which is that the WTO is about trade, but it recognizes uh, the importance of non-trade concerns. Of course, the WTO is a trade organization. It comprises provisions that favor trade opening and that discipline trade restrictions. The basic philosophy of the WTO is that trade opening is good and even necessary to increase people's standards of living and well-being. But at the same time, the GATT and now the WTO agreement contains exceptions uh, to uh, market access uh, obligations. Article 20 of the GATT, now WTO, uh, provides that uh, nothing prevents a member from uh, setting aside market access obligations when a member decides that uh, considerations other than those of trade must uh, prevail. This can happen when, for instance, a member uh, has made commitments in uh, other areas, uh, for example, on an environmental issue, when such an environmental commitment may lead uh, to market access restrictions. Moreover, uh, the preamble of the WTO agreement, uh, contrary to that of the GATT, explicitly refers uh, to sustainable development as an objective of uh, the uh, World Trade Organization. And while it is not yet clear uh, whether sustainable development has uh, crystallized into a general principle of law, the reference uh, to such an important non-trade principle shows that the signatories of the WTO agreement were, uh, in uh, 1994, fully aware of the importance and of the legitimacy of environmental protection as a goal of national and uh, international uh, policy. Based on this uh, new preamble, uh, the evolution brought about by WTO jurisprudence uh, resulted in an interpretation of the WTO that uh, recognizes the place of trade in the overall scheme of states' actions. The WTO now recognizes explicitly that trade is not the only policy consideration that members can favor and respects the necessary balance that uh, ought to be maintained uh, between uh, all such uh, policies. Our appellate body has uh, thus uh, managed uh, to put uh, these exception provisions into operation so as to provide members with the necessary policy space to ensure that uh, their actions uh, take account of uh, various uh, commitments. And the appellate body has uh, done so uh, in establishing a number of uh, principles. First principle, WTO members are entitled to determine their own level of protection for the environment, for health and for morality, even if such national standards are above existing international standards. Second principle, in the WTO, Exceptions referring to such non-trade concerns are not 
to be interpreted narrowly. Exceptions should be interpreted according to the ordinary meaning of the non-trade policy invoked. In this context, our appellate body has uh, insisted uh, that uh, exceptions cannot be uh, interpreted and applied uh, so narrowly that they would have no relevant or effective applications. There must always be a balance between WTO market access obligations and the rights of government uh, to favour uh, policies uh, other than trade. Third principle, the appellate body has uh, extended the availability of WTO exceptions uh, that refer to non-WTO uh, concerns in insisting on the importance of the value protected uh, by a measure and in insisting that when a measure materially contributes to a legitimate policy goal, a member is entitled to give priority to this uh, other policy uh, over trade, so long as it is acting uh, coherently and consistently, and so long as there is no evidence of uh, protectionism. With this uh, approach, members' restrictions based on important values and implemented in good faith will be able uh, to prevail over uh, WTO uh, market access obligations. So, to put it shortly, uh, WTO members' uh, trade restrictions that have been imposed uh, to implement non-trade considerations will be able to prevail over WTO access obligations so long as they are not protectionist. In other words, the WTO provision themselves recognize the existence of non-WTO norms and other legal orders, thereby nourishing sustainable coherence within uh, the international uh, legal order. Moreover, uh, I believe that in uh, leaving members with the necessary policy space to favor non-WTO concerns, the WTO also recognizes the expertise and the importance of other international organizations. In summary, the WTO is well aware of the existence of other systems of norms uh, and uh, it does recognize that it is not acting alone in the uh, inter international uh, sphere. But it does even more in some circumstances, it explicitly gives legal value and weight to such non-strictly speaking WTO norms. So that uh, takes me to my uh, third uh, point of today, uh, which is that the WTO is uh, open and active with other uh, actors in the international uh, legal system. Now, how does the WTO relate to norms of other international uh, legal systems? And what is the nature and the quality of its relationship with other international organizations?
In order to uh, answer these questions, I will uh, briefly discuss how the WTO's provisions operate and treat other legal norms, including uh, norms developed by other international organizations. The WTO recognizes the limits of its jurisdiction and the specialization of other international organizations. In this sense, the WTO helps to build a more unified international approach and reinforces the international uh, legal order. Let me give you a few examples of how uh, our system uh, is not uh, clinically isolated from the rest of the uh, international law and how the WTO has been uh, proactive in uh, stimulating efforts of uh, international uh, coherence. The WTO legal uh, relationship uh, with uh, other international intergovernmental uh, institutions. An additional feature of the WTO uh, that uh, confirms its uh, integration uh, into the international uh, legal order is this legal value and status it provides to international standards and norms uh, developed in uh, other fora. For instance, the WTO's uh, sanitary and phytosanitary agreements states that members' measures based on standards developed in Codex Alimentarius, which is uh, operated jointly by the World Health Organization, the WHO, and the Food and uh, Agricultural Organization, the FAO, uh, and the International uh, Office of uh, uh, Episotics and the International uh, Plant uh, Protection, are presumed to be compatible with uh, the WTO's agreement. So, while Codex and others do not by any means legislate in the normal or full sense, the norms that they produce have a certain authority in creating a presumption of uh, WTO compatibility when such international standards are uh, respected. Uh, our sanitary and phytosanitary agreement thus provides important incentives uh, for states to base their national standards on or conform their national standards to international standards. Therefore, uh, WTO members have no choice but to be directly concerned uh, with uh, the work of uh, Codex uh, Alimentarius. Therefore, uh, the WTO encourages members to uh, negotiate norms in other international fora, which they will then implement in the context of the World Trade uh, Organization. Our technical barriers to trade agreements states that when a member's national measure is consistent with an existing international standard, that national measure is presumed not to be more restrictive uh, than necessary and thus consistent with uh, WTO rules. We have thus established in a manner which uh, I hope uh, will convince you that 
the WTO is neither a sort of uh, power-hungry uh, merchant uh, ogre uh, nor a uh, Geneva gnome uh, covering its lair and that its place in the current international governance is that of an open-minded participant ready for dialogue and by now fully integrated in a network of uh, administrative, legal and political solidarity uh, that is uh, frequently uh, overlooked. This can be also seen in uh, having a rapid look at the political relations of the WTO with other uh, intergovernmental organizations. Let me uh, describe how in the WTO uh, we've been uh, politically sensitive uh, to working with other international organizations and how we actually collaborate with other international organizations. First, there are a few references to specific international organizations in uh, the WTO agreement itself. For instance, the WTO agreement calls for improved cooperation uh, between the WTO, uh, the IMF and the World Bank. And in this context, as a WTO DG, I have a specific mandate to continue to work to reinforce uh, cooperation uh, between these specific uh, international organizations. We have a formal cooperation agreement uh, with ONCTAD and together uh, we have set up uh, the International uh, Trade Center, uh, the ITC, uh, which helps developing countries uh, with uh, export uh, diversification. In the uh, area of uh, standard setting, we now have a mechanism uh, which we call the Standards and Trade Development Facility, uh, which involves the WTO, the World Bank, the FAO, the WHO and the uh, World Organization for Animal Health. Uh, its purpose is to assist developing countries uh, establish and implement uh, sanitary and phytosanitary standards uh, to ensure uh, health protection and uh, facilitate uh, trade expansion. In addition, a notable program of interagency cooperation on technical assistance and capacity building is uh, our uh, integrated framework for least developed countries, uh, which involves the WTO, uh, the IMF, the World Bank, ONCTAD, uh, the International Trade Center and the uh, United Nations Development uh, Program, uh, the UNDP. This uh, interagency cooperation uh, is expanding uh, with the ongoing uh, work on Aid for Trade program, which brings uh, these uh, organizations together uh, with uh, regional development banks uh, with uh, whom we also have uh, formal uh, cooperation agreements. In the area of trade and environment, uh, the WTO and uh, UNEP, the United Nations Environmental Programme, have entered uh, into a uh, cooperation agreement and uh, will soon uh, issue a joint study on uh, trade uh, and uh, climate change. The WTO has uh, also uh, undertaken uh, research on uh, trade and employment with uh, the ILO, 
the International uh, Labour Organization, uh, with which uh, it has published its first uh, joint uh, study uh, some time ago. Through uh, the work of its councils and committees, uh, the WTO also maintains extensive uh, institutional uh, relations uh, with uh, several other international organizations. Uh, there are some 75 international organizations that have obtained formal or ad hoc observer status in uh, WTO bodies. The WTO is also participating as an observer in many international organizations. And although the uh, extent of such cooperation varies, coordination between the work of the WTO and uh, that of uh, other international organizations continues to evolve in a uh, pragmatic and uh, more uh, holistic uh, manner. For, in for instance, although there is no formal agreement uh, between uh, the uh, WHO, the World Health Organization, and the WTO. The WTO has observer status in the WTO, in the WHO, uh, and the WHO has observer status in uh, some of our uh, committees. The FAO WHO Joint uh, Codex Alimentarius Commission. Uh, International Plant Protection Convention and uh, the World Organization for Animal Health have observer status in our uh, sanitary committee and the WTO participates as an observer in the meeting of these uh, bodies. Now, these are just a few examples of uh, our interaction uh, with uh, other uh, international organizations. But in practice, there are many more exchanges that take place among the secretariats of uh, international organizations. Uh, cooperation in global economic policy making uh, goes much beyond the WTO's formal and uh, specific agreements. And indeed, the WTO secretariat maintains uh, working relations with uh, roughly 200 uh, international organizations in uh, activities uh, ranging from uh, statistics, uh, research, standard setting, uh, to uh, technical assistance, uh, training and uh, development assistance. But we also know that we need the other international actors. Uh, there are limits to what trade can do, so we all need uh, to work uh, together. Which uh, leads me to this important point, uh, which is to uh, recognize uh, that trade opening does not in itself address the distributional effects uh, between uh, those uh, better off and those uh, worse off uh, resulting uh, from uh, trade expansion. The setting up of an aid for trade program, which I just uh, mentioned, uh, as a good example of our active cooperation with um, other in uh, international organizations, is also about admitting the limitation of trades and the fact that the WTO alone cannot ensure that benefits of more open trade will indeed reach the people. I remain uh, convinced that the WTO's mandate uh, regarding uh, the opening up of markets constitute an essential contribution 
to development and to the uh, improvement of collective well-being, it is nevertheless true that the opening up of trade can deliver real benefits only if it is accompanied by other policies, uh, which, uh, for instance, uh, allow uh, both for flexibility and job uh, security. Education policy, employment policy, research and innovation policies, some of these must be implemented at national level, while others are effective only if applied internationally through the action of specialized agencies, the ILO, UNESCO, WHO and many others. Coherence between the various international public policies, and they are eminently complementary, is therefore essential. Harnessing globalization, uh, which in my view we need to do, uh, presupposes balanced international cooperation across the board. The best trade policy cannot alone promote growth and development. In some cases, premature market opening can even destabilize a country's economy in the absence of certain accompanying infrastructures or policies. This is why sound macroeconomic policies must be supplemented by structural policies. Among the structural policies, uh, of course, uh, first, uh, good governance practices at national level, uh, without which uh, corruption or a lack of transparency uh, maximize social inequalities rather than uh, reducing them in uh, optimizing collective welfare. A number of international organizations work uh, towards promoting good governance, uh, including the IMF, the World Bank, the OECD, uh, but uh, these are domestic policies uh, for which uh, the WTO has no mandate. Such action must also be supplemented uh, by investment policies in order to uh, develop uh, local infrastructure. Here too, the World Bank, the IMF, regional development banks, uh, UN uh, economic commissions, are there to provide uh, the developing countries with uh, technical or financial support uh, to promote uh, their production uh, and uh, export capacities. As to the WTO, it must uh, contribute its own particular know-how in the area of uh, commercial infrastructures, but we have uh, no rules on issues like uh, domestic uh, investment uh, policies. Now, we recognize that WTO should not, cannot, and is not the center of the world. Uh, its uh, dispute settlement system uh, is uh, not uh, to enforce uh, non-trade disputes. As I noted earlier, many, action, many actors uh, emphasize uh, the power of the WTO dispute settlement system. But this system itself recognizes its uh, limitations. 
recently, in the context of a dispute between uh, the US uh, and Mexico uh, related to their disagreements in uh, the North uh, American free trade area, the appellate body decided that the WTO dispute settlement cannot be used to deal uh, with non-WTO disputes. That dispute was concerned uh, with a complaint uh, by the US uh, that Mexico was uh, imposing discriminatory taxes against import of US uh, soft drinks in reaction to the US uh, refusal to comply with the dispute settlement procedures of uh, NAFTA. Mexico attempted to invoke exception provisions of the GATT, but in fact there was no exception that referred to the actions or the policy goals pursued by Mexico. Mexico's discriminatory taxes that were WTO inconsistent uh, were in fact, uh, and I quote, uh, countermeasures to force the US to respect NAFTA. To do otherwise, uh, say the appellate body, WTO panels and the appellate body would thus become adjudicators of non-WTO disputes. As we noted earlier, said the jurisdiction, this is not the function of panels and the appellate body as intended by the dispute settlement understanding of the WTO. The WTO recognizes the right of the WTO members to set aside some of the WTO obligations for policies listed, as I said earlier, in its Article 20, but the WTO court and the WTO system will not, should not become uh, the world uh, judge of the uh, disagreements uh, between uh, states in uh, treaties uh, other than uh, WTO agreements. Finally, uh, let's try and have a broader look at how uh, the uh, WTO is uh, working uh, with uh, the uh, UN uh, system. As I wrote in uh, 04 in a book about uh, international democracy, I'm a firm advocate of uh, international cooperation. I wouldn't dare to say that this is a general principle of international law. But, but uh, I recall, that international cooperation is one of the UN objectives, as stated uh, in uh, Article 1 of the UN Charter. I believe that efforts of international cooperation are the only way to ensure the peaceful evolution of international relations and of our international legal system. But international cooperation is also crucial to ensuring the legitimacy of the WTO and the effectiveness of trade rules. But there are many reasons why the WTO uh, needs to continue to work with the UN. As I mentioned, uh, the WTO mantra in favor of trade openness plays a vital role in member uh, growth and development, but it's not a panacea for all the challenges of development, neither is it necessarily easy to accomplish, nor in many uh, circumstances uh, can it be effective unless it is embedded in a supportive economic, social and political context and in a coherent, multifaceted policy framework. Trade opening 
can only be politically and economically sustainable if it is complemented by policies which address, at the same time, capacity problems, whether human, uh, bureaucratic or structural, the challenges of distribution of the benefits created by fair trade, the need for sustainable development, the respect of public morals, and so on. This is also about international legal coherence, and this is also where the WTO recognizes that it must work uh, with uh, the UN system. I am, as WTO DG, uh, personally also quite active in the Chief Executive Board, the CB of the UN, uh, where uh, head of all agencies uh, meet and uh, collaborate under the direction of the uh, Secretary General of the uh, United Nations uh, to try and increase the efficiency of their respective work. We are also, for instance, very active in this uh, new uh, task force uh, on uh, food crisis, uh, which was set up by uh, uh, the UN uh, SecGen, uh, Ban Ki-moon, uh, because of our action on uh, agricultural subsidies and tariffs are part of the medium and long-term solution uh, to food uh, shortages. We know that we need to increase agricultural production in developing countries, and one of the reasons why their production and exports have been discouraged is because of the importance of uh, distorting uh, subsidies or high tariffs in uh, rich countries. Protectionism in agriculture is at the core of the current uh, Doha round of negotiations, which I hope we can complete uh, soon. And as I mentioned before, the WTO makes full use of its international legal uh, personality and is now uh, collaborating actively with other international organizations within the uh, UN uh, family. But there is more than that, and I've uh, said it uh, already many times, in setting up a system whereby good faith norms developed in other international fora are presumed to be WTO consistent, the WTO not only gives due deference to other legal systems, but it also stimulates negotiations in other specialized fora, and it reinforces the coherence of our legal order. In this sense, the WTO is uh, an engine, a motor, energizing the international legal order. And this is, in uh, my view, uh, the place and the role of the WTO in the international legal order. The role of a catalyst for international mutual respect and international cooperation, and also, because I believe we need it uh, for more global governance, I believe this is needed if we want the world we live in uh, to become uh, less violent, uh, be it uh, social, uh, political, uh, or uh, environmental, or even economic violence. Which leads me to my conclusion. Uh, clearly, the WTO has evolved 
from the GATS closure. Uh, states, signatories to the GATT uh, wanted to reinforce the status of the uh, international uh, trading system and provided it with a formal international organization, the WTO. This international organization is now fully operational. The legal value and enforcement of those norms uh, adopted by WTO bodies are matters for debate, for sure, but the role of the WTO, including as a forum for negotiations uh, and uh, also its powerful dispute settlement mechanism, confirms uh, the distinctive nature of its uh, legal order. Today's international legal order will be able to evolve peacefully only if existing laws evolve uh, through uh, mutual uh, respect. I believe there is no exception to this rule and that the WTO is well aware of its importance. Thus, the WTO acts as a vehicle for the evolution of international law and with other international organizations works for the creation of a better ordered international community.